0: okay all right welcome back to the make lemonade podcast the show for creators by creators where we hope to inspire those creators to earn money from their own lemonade stand i'm one of your co-hosts james and i'm here with the man the myth the legend it's the co-founder of lemon squeezy himself jr far how are you doing jr good good oh well, that's a that's quite the intro i'm impressed A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. You might have heard JR's voice on the pod before, but not mine. We're going to be switching the format up a little bit, aiming to give you the best podcast for creators out there. But we're going to go co-hosting, meaning JR and I will be on the mic for you every week, but sometimes we might rotate. Some episodes, it will just be us riffing on some topics. Other times, we'll bring you interviews with some of the best creators and entrepreneurs out there. And we're also going to bring you along with some juicy behind-the-scenes content of how we're squeezing those lemons here at Lemon Squeezy. And so with that out of the way... Let's talk about the absolute whirlwind that has been the last few months, JR. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it?
1: It has been. And it's like, as we think about bringing this podcast back, we've been talking about this for a while, James, me and you, and this just feels like the perfect topic we can kind of kick things back off with, right?
0: Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about the great Gumroad migration, as you termed it, because Gumroad made a huge change a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Gumroad for me and a lot of other creators was the default when i launched my course gumroad was what i went for i think lemon squeezy was still in beta it it was a merchant of record they had a good pricing model at the time where they had this tiered thing where you went in uh, like 10 percent, and then the more you sold the lower percentage you paid to gumroad and this seemed like a really fair deal it incentivized people to sell more and i think their top tier was i think three percent so those who have earned over a million their price tier was three percent and then overnight they hiked it to ten percent plus processing fees and this added thousands of pounds thousands of dollars onto the monthly bills of creators and so naturally people were looking for an alternative jr talk to me a little bit about what you thought when you saw that announcement and how you approached it from from lemon squeezy
1: First off, like like you said, Gumroad, it's been around forever. It's a great product. Obviously, there's competitors, but it doesn't mean that I don't wish anything ill on them. I think competition is great. I think that we need it. I think it keeps people innovative. It was just a communication thing, right? Like just maybe there's a million ways you probably could have gone about it. I'm not here to like critique it or anything. I think it's just more as this unfolded and, you know, there was a double down on it. I just thought that, hey, this is the... When life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? And I just, this seemed like the perfect time to do it because we had been building Lemon Squeezy for years. We had just finished our migration tools for Gumroad and we already had been migrating people over. So we felt confident with that. And it almost seemed like we were like really strategic here, but it was just like hard work and grit and just typing until our fingers bled and still are (laughs) typing until our fingers are bleeding and i think we just looked at it like a an opportunity that we needed to jump on and so i think we i think we did a decent job
0: you did a very good job of jumping on it my twitter feed has just been full of people asking for gumroad alternatives and the responses are either you, Orman, the Lemon Squeezy account, or the many happy customers of Lemon Squeezy I have been surprised at how vocal customers of Lemon Squeezy have been, which means they're happy and they're happy to recommend it.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the one of the things we weren't prepared for was I actually tweeted about this the other day. As a founder, you always kind of wish for that moment where you see something something click or you get featured on Hacker News or something, right? And you think that this is going to be the moment and it never happens. It never happened before. And I don't even want to say that this is even one of those moments, but it was the magnitude of this is much bigger than I anticipated. And I'm talking more in the sense of this isn't like creators that are making a couple bucks. These are people that are making significant amount of money, six figures a month, and they need a home. And one of the things that I'm trying to say that we, we weren't prepared for is the amount of just support and and constant interaction, you know, needed to kind of get them onboarded as they're kind of struggling to find a new home. Right. And, and they're you have to address those concerns and those things. And they're used to the way things work with Gumroad and lemon squeezy for the most part has a lot of the same features, but there's a lot of things that we do different. And so, you know, I've had to rush to, Onboard new support members and and it's good like hey, hey, here's some bodies to throw at the problem but yeah, it still requires training and onboarding and getting them ramped up to kind of take this, you know We just weren't ready for it and and I think we've done a decent job handling it, but we could always be better and so That's something that's really stuck out to me
0: Jr. the, the moment that gumroad announced it. It's sort all of broke over a weekend, didn't it Um <laughs> yeah. To, to, talk to me about some of the slap messages that were going on. How, what, what was the reaction to it? Were you thinking? Yeah. We. How we, have they done this?
1: Yeah. Like I that was crazy because it happened on a Friday. First of all, and it was right before the big holiday. I mean, like most people at that time was December seventeenth, and you go into kind of that lull of the end of the yeah. year, and everybody had time <laughs> off. I had time off planned, and I was just like, nope. I'm staying put on my computer and I sat there for 48 hours straight and just typed and typed and typed. And, and I think that a lot of us were definitely shocked and surprised and just didn't understand at first. And then I think later on, he came on and did a podcast and kind of explained his intentions and they make sense, you know, and he's got a different, customer base that I think he's trying to go after. He's he's a smart guy. Like he he knows what he's doing and I think he's he's making the decisions that he thinks are best. But yeah, I mean, I just to kind of talk about our situation, it was it was non-stop like you said for for that that Christmas and holiday and break that was just absolute madness.
0: I'm mm-hmm. wondering do, do you think this will be like net positive for Gumroad because They've obviously increased their price a lot. So do you think the amount of people that have left because of the price and the communication will sort of balance out?
1: Yeah, I think they're I think they're I mean I even think he tweeted the other day that after they announced he was watching the profit numbers and they're growing up and I think there's a lot of people that wanted to leave that didn't leave and I think they'll probably be okay. I yeah time will tell, right?
0: I mean like <laughs> Popular advice is to raise your prices, right? What could they have done differently?
1: Man, like you said, it's so hard to say cause I'm not him and I'm not his company and I don't know everything, but I think there's probably like two or three things that come to mind. Everyone raises their pricing. It just, it's, it's you see, even just Shopify just did it. I mean, it was the first time I think they raised their prices in 12 years and you can see the way they communicated it. So that talk about communication and, and delivery that can change a lot, that helps a mm-hmm. lot. So delivery is one. Two would be you, you can look at your existing customer base and is there anything you could do there to maybe baby step them? Grandfather maybe isn't always the the answer, but maybe there's a baby step there for all the, you know, support over the years. Can you, can they get any benefit of that? Does that mean anything to you? And then, yeah, just, I don't know, maybe, maybe those are the things that stick out the most for me. But like I said, I'm not involved with it all, so I don't, I don't know exactly what was on their mind but
0: yeah so how much has it affected lemon squeezy i mean you've emailed me some numbers so i sort of know the scale of this but for podcast listeners can you give a sense of how big the change was and how many people migrated over to lemon squeezy how much has increased your business sure
1: let's see let's see hundreds and hundreds of migrations in in a month and a half and i'm again i'm talking about people with significant volume so that so from like our perspective the way we we track is gmv so the gmv flowing through the platform has has increased significantly like hundreds of percentage points you know which because you know there wasn't a grandfather into those people so they're moving and and that's really big and then i think there's a nice tune happening right now about lemon squeezy like these guys have have this and and their fees are lower and look i don't i also don't want to be the the platform that's the cheapest that's not our goal but yeah we're also not 13 or 14 percent. so we are cheaper and that was crazy because we kind of had that announced way before this happened so it was it was just like a a series of just everything falling in place but and then I, i would say from like a channel perspective so like twitter in the in the building public and founder and sass and creator space there's been a nice tune happening that you know like i even saw like levels tweeted about us the other day which is awesome yeah. and i was saying it's it's really on us to screw this up right like we've got this nice momentum we've got this nice tune the support thing is a little scary right now because we're really trying to catch up so we don't frustrate anyone because that is a that's a big core thing to us to make sure that people always feel supported and it's it's fast re- response times, and you know we can compete on that right like that's a differentiator for us, but I think from like a some other numbers to give you, so hundreds of migrations hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of migrations, constant migrations the g m v is significantly increased, and then I would say just like from Twitter, I mean we picked up tons of followers, but just like those some of those tweets alone were millions of impressions i think I want to say just for like the month of January, it was like. Seven to 10 million impressions, or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But, and then, like I said, individual tweets just, you know, hundreds of thousands of impressions just on gumroad migrations. So,
0: what didn't go so well? Did you run into any problems with people worried about migrating over to Lemon Squeezy? I think that, like I said, the, the,
1: the, the unexpectedness during the holidays trying to ramp during that time people are trying to wind down reset and then there are some things that that lemon squeezy we, we we're pushing towards this SaaS offering and really helping SaaS businesses on board with mm. lemon squeezy as a merchant record so this kind of brought us back into the creator space where we first started and we felt like the platform's pretty mature there but there is a few elements like courses you can sell courses but delivery of them is something that we're we're having a roadmap. So there's a couple things like that where we're just like, hey, you could do it here, but this is up front transparently. This is our limitations with something like that. And I'd say that was probably the number one thing. Like I want to make sure when I deliver my content, people can't just download it and they have to stream it through Lemon Squeezy. We just don't have that capability right now. So that was like one that was like a sticking point.
0: One thing you guys do, which is a reason a lot of people... Use Gumroad in the first place was Merchant a Record. And mm-hmm. Justin Jackson recently did a podcast on this and it's got a lot of people talking about tax and sales tax in various countries. As you've grown, has that been a problem? And why is Merchant a Record so useful to not only content creators, but SaaS platforms?
1: Yeah, so let me answer it like this. So let me give you some background. So for a decade, I built one of the largest marketplaces in WordPress. And in a sense, because I was a marketplace, I was the merchant of record for all of these sellers. And, you know, we grew to like 6 million users and it was a big platform. And this was again, like a 2009, 10 and went all the way to 2018. So kind of watched VAT get introduced, you know, I mean, like really, really introduced, you know, where this became a, a pretty big thing. And I got like a taste of like what it was like to really be a merchant of record at that scale. And so when I came to Lemon Squeezy, I kind of knew a lot about this and understood Nexus and VAT and global tax compliance and remittance and how this all works. And so you see it every year where... It's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. It's obviously bigger in the in in the EU because of the VATs there. I think people in the US where I'm from, they're kind of like, hey, oh, this I, I live here, I don't really care what's happening with what's with, with these other countries. It doesn't bother me, it doesn't impact me. And I think that's actually a lot of the the approach. But you'll see like now we're seeing people like Basecamp. Basecamp's a Chicago based LLC in the US and they just paid six million dollars in back taxes.
0: Mm.
1: That's big. That's what started that conversation with Justin, right? You're now seeing these big, big SaaS founders that yeah. are like, "We better watch out because." And that's that's like the quote I always say is like the way we were introduced to to uh, sales tax was a lawsuit, or like you know that kind of, or like dealing with that kind of thing. And so it wasn't a lawsuit. But my my long winded answer is, I think that these countries are realizing that with with COVID, it pushed so much online. That these countries are now saying we want our tax money, like we need this. So they're getting smarter, and they're they're communicating with the payment processors and saying, "Hey, we need to understand who's collected this money, and we're going to go." You know, so there there's a lot of that going on, and that's speeding this up. And so I think as the years go by, you're going to start to see more of these base camp t- type stories, and it's beginning going to become a bigger thing. And it's funny because. People look at Stripe and they say it's 2.9% plus 30 cents or whatever. But that's not really true because once you get into like fraud protection and billing management and all these other fees, you're, you're easily paying seven to 10% in Stripe. You just don't see it because it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And (laughs) so when people look at us, they're like, Oh, it's 5%. I can't, I can't, you know, or even with a couple other fees, it's, you know, six or 7% and it's like. For that much, for peace of mind and the agony and the cost, you know, and we take on the liability, I just think it's, we're not asking for a whole lot, you know?
0: No, I think it's very reasonable the way you frame that as well. Now, I'll admit, JR, I don't know much (laughs) about taxes and I've always thought merchant and record, good, better for taxes, not actually understanding... what it does i still use stripe for half my things so in layman's terms what what are you actually doing explain to me when i'm selling something through lemon squeezy and people get their invoice and it has vat in the uk and then sales tax Mm -hmm. in the us do i then not worry about the the sales taxes is that all done by you and i don't have to touch it
1: yeah i mean Welcome to the Make Lemonade podcast, where we talk about global sales tax compliance. <laughs> but no, I think this is a good topic because it is—it's like the last thing you want to talk about, right? And so, I guess to put it simply, and we can have another episode maybe where we like actually get into this, but let's just kind of yeah. explain it as what it is that we do. But yeah, in in a in a sense, with Stri- I think the other confusion is with Stripe—they have Stripe tax. So hey, yeah, I can go collect Stripe. I can go collect the taxes but you're still liable to so so the way it works is what stripe tax does or these other softwares is they track your what's called a threshold so every place has a jurisdiction that you need to register in if you reach a threshold and that means how much money you've sold in that country so that's what stripe tax does it watches those thresholds and then it tells you that you need to go register well it's still on you you're still liable for the taxes and so anyway long story short you have to track these thresholds and then collect the taxes, calculate the taxes, and then you have to uh, register your your company in that jurisdiction. And then every quarter or month, you have to pay your taxes to that country in their currency, or whether it's monthly, quarterly, like it's, it's a lot. And so wow. that's what we do. We do a lot more. I think like the overarching idea of Lemon Squeezy was the reason why we originally chose to be a merchant record is this concept of easy peasy lemon squeezy it was to allow people to get in and just create a product and start selling you didn't have to create a merchant account you have to sign up for anything you just start selling and that and then that and that's like as we add on email and affiliates and all of these other things right it makes it so you can just have this all-in-one kind of thing for digital products and we've also drawn a line in the sand there with not going into physical we're just trying to stay focused on being the best place for digital products
0: cool well enough tax chat for one day the great (laughs) gumroad migration over to lemon squeezy is happening you've been non-stop since since it happened on the 17th of december you've been tweeting away getting people migrated over you've had to hire a ton of support people is it still going
1: yeah, it's still going. It's not stopping. I thought it would, but it's not. We're still onboarding more people. We're hiring more software engineers. We just actually just got a an offer accepted today, which is a big, big hire, which I'm really excited about. Actually, I'm going to talk about them real quick. So in our the, talking about like tech, tech stack of lemon squeezy, we're at Laravel and, and uh, inertia and view. And we, uh, when we posted before we got we got this application night there, there was 500 applications on just like one of our job listings like it's just madness and we kind of like moved on and then i got i got reached out by this guy named claudio decker and he was like hey jack alice mentioned that i should reach out to you guys and i ended up finding out that he's you know he worked with taylor at laravel as a core, core, core team on laravel and then he's also a maintainer on inertia so he's literally the guy who's building our tech stacks mm-hmm is coming to work for Lemon Squeezy and it's just beyond exciting to have someone as his caliber that interested to reach out to us and then accept the offer and come be a full-time member. So,
0: JR, you've got this knack of hiring the right people, hiring famous people as well. Yeah, Um, Yeah, we can
1: talk about Dan. We should talk about Dan.
0: Talk to me about Dan. Why did you hire... uh, um, How did you pry Dan away from... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> his many side projects to to work at Lemon Squeezy as head of dev, dev relations, I think it was.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, so we we kind of like, you know, our intention is to be you know focused on making it nice for developers to adopt Lemon Squeezy, so APIs and integration. So the first step was getting someone like Dan Dr on Twitter. You, people know him from his side projects and his kind of indie. Indie life and obviously his podcast with you. But yeah, we just kind of, t- we chatted, I think, for like almost a year through like Twitter DMs. And just he came on originally and started selling on top of Lemon Squeezy. And then we just stayed in touch. And once I think Elon bought Twitter, I think he got a, you know, he was kind of like, man, the risk of this platform, yeah, which is kind of a maybe a trend thing we can go into here in a second. But, you know, it just, the timing just was perfect. And so I think that kicked off a really nice thing mm. because people were, you don't see that hire a lot like ahead of developer relations or developer experience no. and it's something that we're really committed to is just making that experience good so it's that's been awesome he's been great just he's he's got what's interesting about dan is he's, he's a bit of a unicorn where he can design and code yeah. and write right so he's he's just he's just really good about that so he's been a great addition to the team
0: well what, why did you want to create a position for Developer relations. Why is that an important thing for you and lemon squeezy? Because you say it's like it's not something that often people do Why at this stage?
1: So the way I see it is like this You have like money-making products like I want to buy this I'm gonna sign up for this cuz it's gonna make us money. Well lemon squeezy's kind of we help them make money but but it's the last thing you want to do is change your billing infrastructure Right? Like it's just not super exciting. And we were trying to go after people with established volume that we could switch. And as we do that, you realize that once you kind of get approval from the business side, then you get into the development side and the tech side, and they say, well, how easy is it to integrate? What are your APIs like? What is your integration like? And so that's where we just decided that we really need to make sure we're investing in this continually to make it super easy for people to switch and feel confident with that switch and make it easy on the team. So that's that That was kind of the back history there.
0: Well, it's a great hire. It's been great to see the progress you've made. Congrats on the engineering hire too. I think that's enough on uh, you, Lemon yeah. Squeezy. Now th- this podcast is for creators. We wanna help creators. We're gonna bring a few segments in. And one of the things I was thinking about as we kick off the podcast this year is what trends we might be seeing in 2023 for creators. So I've written three things down here, JR, and we're going to riff on them and see which trends might be important for creators. Okay, so the first one, and you just alluded to it with Twitter and platform risk. I think there's going to be people who are really going to start owning their audience, using email, podcasts, to help fuel their creator business without... The risk of the Twitter algorithm or or the Instagram algorithm putting them down. Do you think more people are going to be doing this?
1: I, I do I do and I'll I, I have this thing where like I always say things with an analogy, but my analogy is this because <laughs> it, it feels like we're going backwards, right? Like it feels like we're going back to blogs and back to lists and and like all that stuff. But it, it makes me think even just like fashion as you watch the decades go, like every there's like a gap, but like the seventies and the eighties and the, you know how they come back later, like people pick up those styles again. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind yeah. of the same thing. It's like the internet is only 20 years old. Right. And so it's just barely getting out of its teens. And so I think people are starting to like bring back trends and things. And one of those trends is man, Like all these platforms are great, but I realized that I've got to own some of this stuff. And so I think we're kind of seeing back to the blogging stuff early in the early days that, you know, is kind of coming back and making a trend again. So
0: I think you're absolutely right. And it's the ones that have stood the test of time. Email has been around since the start of the internet or early on in the internet. It's been around decades, whereas you see these other platforms, which sort of come and go peaks and troughs, they get oversaturated. The thing is with stuff like blogs and email lists is, I don't know if they get oversaturated as much as people are choosing the good content they want and they can vote with their email inbox clicks and subscribes rather than something falling out of an algorithm. They might really enjoy your content, but they don't see it. They take a break from Twitter. And I think that's where like owning your audience with email really is going to be so useful for creators. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot, JR, because I've put a lot of my energy into Twitter over the years and it's been great and I've seen rewards from it, but I get scared when I see all the changes that are happening and whether or how much that is going to affect my business. I'm fortunate that I've got podcasts which people still tune into that sort of along the lines of legacy media there's no algorithms. i'm fighting with that if i still make good content people will still listen
1: yeah i agree and i you know it's it's one of those things too where it's like i think you you nurture your stuff that you can control and build your audience and i do think you have to cast lines out where the attention is because You are in a sense, pulling people into your attention with these audiences as as great as that idea is, right? I'm going to build this audience and they're going to come to my email and they're going to come to my blog and read it. You're still pulling them, right? You're still trying to pull these people in out of their normal daily thing they're doing. So I still think you have to go where the attention is and whether that's Twitter or TikTok or whatever, you know, you're going to have to still kind of cast some lines out there. And I think that that's a, probably a good way to be diversified. But at the end of the day, I think having a home base with an audience that you can control is is 100% like the way to go.
0: Cool. So that was one trend. Mm-hmm. The next one is actually completely on the contrary, but it's where the distribution is right now. You yeah. still got to pull people and they've still got to discover your email list or your podcast. Mm-hmm. And the way I feel like That needs to be done. This year is short form video. We're all seeing it blowing up. We're all thinking, shit, we got to do clips somehow. And I think we've (laughs) all just got to figure out how to do it because people are going to get very good very quickly at TikTok shorts and reels. And it's going to start to get even more and more saturated. So if you're going to get on it, get on it now.
1: Yeah, I agree. So going into 2023, if you want to do this, which I think is a great idea. It's a good trend because it's it's where the attention is. I think we're turning into a, a society where our attention span is, is, is you know, 140 characters or eight seconds. So shorts and reels is big. And I think that's that's why. I think that's like the, the reasoning. This is why I think I'm excited about getting this podcast going again is because I think you actually need to have it be more of a process or a strategy, which should be more of this long form content, blogging, podcasts, things like that. And then from there, you pull out the short form pieces. I call them breadcrumbs. So in this podcast, for example, we'll do this podcast. It's 45 minutes, 30 minutes, write a blog post about the topic. There's a blog post. And then you pull out different tweets or images that you can tweet about or post, and then even do the short little clips from this video where we maybe pull out a few nuggets that we think this will get some views on reels and TikTok to get them into the larger show so I think if you're going to go into it I think that's a good strategy to kind of to look at doing to kind of get that kick-started.
0: JR you're absolutely talking my language I've been saying this stuff for years about podcasting it's great to see more and more people buy into it I was however I was like resistant to do podcasts with video because I thought they were best consumed as audio I do still believe they're best consumed as audio the main show But the more distribution or like the harder distribution has got, the more I've realized that we need to get on the platforms in the way that they want people to consume the content, which is the short clips. I find myself seeing loads of podcast clips that I never would have discovered before, just through my scrolling on YouTube, on TikTok, on Instagram. And now with every new podcast client I have, it's just the default. We record with yeah. video and we're going to be making clips. It's going to be experimental. Which clips work? How do we edit them? But you've got this one show and you can cut it into as much as you want. And then the final thing, we can't ignore it, JR. And I've I've typically been a skeptic of new things like this. But AI seems to be taking over everywhere. ChatGPT, GPT-3. How are these going to play into the lives of creators? Are they going to take all of our jobs? Are they going to make things better for us? I saw today, actually,
1: that openai.com, they bought ai.com, which is crazy, which is, I don't even want to know how much that domain was. No, my goodness. You know, this is a good one because it's super trendy right now and it's, it's come and go and you've seen it in the past too with VR and AR and you know, augmented reality and all those things, right? And I do feel like there's definitely moments where something comes out before it's ready. I think we saw AI come out early on and it was hard for people to give it application. Like, what do I do with this? How do I, how do I use this? And then people wrap chat GPT on it and then they put this little spin on it with a different bow or different dress and people are like, whoa, I see it. So anyway, I see people starting to be like, well, maybe this scare of like, is it going to take over jobs and all these things? I I don't know yet. I I don't want to say it's not. I think this is the start of it and we need to be prepared and we need to be ahead of it. But it's interesting to watch this roller coaster of AI happen.
0: Are are you a skeptic of it?
1: I'm not a skeptic. I I think that because I remember when I first came to the getting online and I'm, you know, I guess in a sense i'm kind of an oldie because i i came online mm-hmm. and you know I, I used to burn cds on LimeWire and all these Ooh. things so like yeah so i've been around a while but i'm always told myself like as new things come out like TikTok and things you cannot ignore them you need to like embrace them so i'm trying to embrace it and i can see how this is very very disruptive and i think this is the closest it's been so far but it just needs some polish you know
0: it does need polish. I have been a skeptic of all of the new technologies. Crypto, Web3, NFTs. Oh my goodness, I hated NFTs with a passion. I'd never understood them. And a lot of like the trendy AI things, I have tend to ignore them and skeptical of. But the more I've seen it and used it, the more I'm finding it interesting. And so I'm less of a skeptic about this than I have been other trends. Now... A, like basic ai i'm finding so useful in my day-to-day life automatic transcripts and descripts are my removable amazing ai that i use on a daily basis that i couldn't live without their like overdub thing where it can mimic your voice not quite as good but also not quite that useful now I probably wasn't going to try ChatGPT, but then I tried it and I was like, wow, this is awesome, and I think a lot of people have felt the same, but I'm also starting to see ways I could use it for ideas. If I'm trying to find a new niche to create a new course in, if I have an outline for a course and I want to flesh it out, you can just pump these things into ChatGPT and it can really help you. So as a creator, I'm seeing a way where it can help me with idea generation, fleshing out ideas, which are just bullet points, getting lists of things. All of that can be done using AI.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where I'm at is I'm not a skeptic in that regard because I my thought process is, I think AI is good as an ingredient right now. It's not the full course yet, right? You can't just expect it to do everything. But I think as a good ingredient, it helps, like you're saying, with your podcasting stuff, with content marketing, idea generations, getting maybe the start of a blog post going, you know. But I think like it full-blown writing like a SaaS application and coding it out, like there's no, it's not, Mm. that's not there yet, right? Like that's not the full course meal yet,
0: but it's coming. It'll be here. I'm sure of it. I wanna put you on the spot here. I'm curious what you think are some niches that might be worth exploring for creators this year. Maybe you've had some indication from the type of things people are creating and listing on Lemon Squeezy and you're seeing become really popular that you didn't expect. Is there anything
1: What's interesting to me is I think people I think people overestimate customized, handcrafted products that they came up with that they think people are just going to love. And I think they underestimate the knowledge that they have in creating those products. So let me explain it that to you. So someone that understands... Let's talk about Bubble. Bubble is like a no-code tool. People that understand how to use Bubble and build things, that's the stuff where they're, bottling, they're bundling it up into a course. And I think that this year, I, I do think that that is... Information and your expertise in a very very niched thing: Figma, Bubble, Webflow, podcasting. You, not just podcasting, but like editing podcasts. Or,
0: yeah, well, I was thinking like a course <laughs> around specific products you've mentioned for yeah. there. But for me, it would be Descript. If I was to yeah. sell something, here is exactly how to use Descript. Yeah. That is super niche. It's people yes. that want to edit podcasts and also just use Descript.
1: Yes, and I, it, you're you're hitting you're hitting a very specific niche and a very specific problem and it's, you know, you could literally use chat GPT there and say, or you could look at trends of like, what are how to searches? Like, how do I, how do I do this? How do I do that? That's a great thing to look at. I'm like, I'm good at this. Like even all the way to like financial stuff, how do I build a financial model in a Google sheet? Like yeah. learning a course on how to do that stuff. If you're just getting into being that like, there's so many things I can think of that. I just think bundling up that productizing your knowledge yeah, it's underrated still. I know, and I know the course thing is popular. I'm not saying that, but I think people take the course and they make it into this big, verbose, vague topic versus just spinning up like a simplified
0: you know, yeah. offering. I think you're absolutely right. More niche products and courses. Also, it, the courses get a bad rap. So many people seem to have made a course or or if they haven't, they sort of look down on those that have made a course. Then you're a sellout. Like Why can't you just share all this knowledge? I think everyone at some point should create a course because I loved making mine and it wasn't something I'd ever really planned to do. But I had all this knowledge and I wanted to share it. So I made my course and it was fantastic. It was a great Mm -hmm. learning experience getting all the knowledge from here into like an actual product and then it was by far jr my favorite revenue i say this it was better than any freelancing productized service it was just i'd made the course and every sale was just money for something i'd already made
1: create it once and sell it forever yeah and i think i think it's also too about Where I I see a lot of people struggle is they get so romantic about the creation of this and building it. And they forget about, you know, the marketing side and positioning and how do I... You don't always have to even call it a course. Like we've talked about RID from Figma Academy. Yeah. He's got a Figma course. He doesn't... You go to Figma.academy. It's not like built out like this massive course. He just... He pitches it like... And again, he's niched it down to a very specific type of designer and a type of design you're going to learn with this specific tool. And, you know, he's found a captive audience there.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, we're going to round off the episode, JR, on something that I'm calling Creator Spotlight because I want to spotlight those creators that are doing awesome, cool things. We're going to do this every episode we don't have a guest, where we're going to find the best people doing the coolest things. And the creator that I want to put in the spotlight today is Brett Williams of Design Joy. The man can't stop printing money, JR. Did you see the productized service course that he launched recently? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, he's actually selling on Lemon
1: Squeezy, which I feel super grateful that he chose us to do that with. But that that guy is—he's smart. He, I don't know how to say very. That He's very sharp. He's very sharp. He, he's—he he's, comes off like he's not very calculated, but I feel like in a, there's deep down, there's something. Yeah, he's—he knows what he's doing. So I'm in super impressed with him.
0: He must know what he's doing, given the numbers that he puts up, not only for his productized service, but now the course. So Brett absolutely burst onto the scene last year. He'd sort of been building design joy, not in public, just making his design one-man design productized service happen. And then Dan Rowden discovered this and put out a tweet. And then after this tweet, Brett joined Twitter, he wasn't on Twitter before, and started sharing these very impressive tweets people love to be inspired by numbers and when they saw the numbers that brett was doing at that point it was like over 100k a month he was making with his productized design service that then grew to 130 140k a month as a one-man designer and people couldn't get enough of it they loved seeing this guy share his numbers and stories he sold consultancy calls on how to do it and he's just very smart. And you said he's calculated about how he does it. He very much is. And people have just latched onto this story. Super timely, super inspiring tweets. And we were like, Brett, like, you haven't done Twitter before this. How did you get so good? He just saw it was working, which was these inspiring tweets about how to make money. People want to learn how to make money. Brett was teaching them. And that's how he grew his Twitter audience to now 35k followers. He says that a lot
1: too. You know, I think I think he t- he tweets the new people that see him say, "Well, yeah, it's easy because you've got thirty thousand followers." And he, al- I-, I see him always double down. He said, "Hey, when I started, I had zero. You know, you don't yeah. see all that." And and so don't don't tell me. And I think that's why he probably decided. You know what? I'm going to create this course, how to productize yourself, because it's not just about your Twitter follower. There's other stuff that goes into it. So.
0: Exactly. And I was talking to my friend earlier about the benefit of having an audience or being known, and I'm actually not sure if I want to be known. And when I see stories of Brett, who managed to grow this huge business without Twitter, without having an audience, I think before he joined Twitter, it was something like 80k a month. That's almost a million pound a year business, million dollar a year business that he did without growing a Twitter audience because he understood what the market wanted, which was super high quality, unlimited design. He productized that, it's himself, it's a one man business. And he just executed making these wonderful designs for people and people now see that he's done it. He makes a course showing exactly how he did it without this audience. He might show how the audience has helped him. But he's gonna break it down strategically. And the wonderful way about how he launched this course, JR, was he did the outline thing, which is where you just share an outline of your course. It might not already be made. You put it up for a pre sale based on that outline and money.
1: How much has he made off this? Do you know?
0: It's over a hundred K.
1: I know he posts his, it- his things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. His, his last tweet he shared was like a lemon squeezy screenshot was 1260 sales. And if you're selling it at $99, that's over 120 K he's made from this course alone, which is just well, he, outrageous
1: Well, and he posted that on January 30th. So it's been two weeks. That's mad. That's mm. madness. Good for him. I'm, 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 I'm happy for him. That's a good creator to call out because he's not just a one hit wonder. Yeah. He he's done it again and uh, he's showing you, he's showing people how to do it. And I think that that's great. So yeah, so this is Brett at design. Joy. It looks like it's Brett from DJ on Twitter and then net design joy is his core or his service.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's our creator spotlight and that'll bring us to the end of this episode. JR back with the mate lemonade podcast.
1: This was not, I mean, I got to say that you coming in and being a host, you're so good at what you do and you're kind of, you should be doing this, not me. So thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Make Lemonade with me, James and JR Farr. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit subscribe or the follow button on your podcast player of choice. And we always appreciate a nice review. If you want to make your own lemonade stand like Brett has done, you can check out Lemon Squeeze. You will make sure we put all links in the show notes for that. That's all from me. See you later. Okay, I'll try. Right.